Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode 259. Uh, this is your silent producer, Poochie. Around the table with me, I have Jeff. What's your real name? Matt. Matt what? Crocker. Okay. Matt Poochie Crocker. There you go. In brackets, Poochie. I'm here. Yes, thank Jeff's you. Here. Thank you for the warm welcome. Yep. Greg's here. Hey, you have you have a very good hosting voice. It's not like this. It's not like mine. <laughs> I'm a little plugged up today due to allergy no, season. You're not. I am. Okay. And we have Crystal. Hello. Hey, Crystal. You have, a nice, um, you have a nice podcasting voice too, Crystal. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so the first thing we have in today has to do with our last podcast, which mm-hmm. was if Ezra was a car, which car would he be? And this is sent in from his brother. So we had one reply to that. He'd one be, reply. He'd so be that's a, good. He'd be a car in the shop. Is what in he'd the be. Would be. This morning. <laughs> Ezra okay, so has his, been. He's been injured. Just so you know, and we're not going to tell you in what way Ezra's been injured. You can find that out later. But as of, as a, as as of recording time for the podcast, Ezra is uh, either laying on a couch or as seeing a doctor about a surgery he's going to have to have. So it sounds so ominous. It does, but I want to leave it. You're I want to leave it very vague, yeah, so that people wonder what's going on with Ezra. He's like our Carmen San Diego. <laughs> Where in the world is Ezra? What's going on with him? Why is it always something? <laughs> okay, so all right, here's the car. This is sent in by Ezra's brother-in-law, um, which gives us a little insight into their relationship. And it reads, in keeping with his birth year, he is a 1972 Ford Pinto station wagon. It would be a beautiful shade of Kenyan brown with the faux wood paneling. Yeah, he's got a picture of it, too. Yep, it's really nice. Um, it says a station wagon model because there's lots of room in the trunk. Here's a, <laughs> <laughs> here's a few specs. Zero to 60 in 14 seconds flat, which is very close to Ezra's 30-meter time, mm-hmm. and a top speed of 150 kilometers per hour, which is theoretical, not tested. Also, just a note he made is it's prone to rear-end explosions, which originates from the gas tank. Okay, that that's enough. Too. Yeah. Okay, we see what happened there. It also breaks down frequently. <laughs> so, yes, this is probably a good analogy to Ezra. That's good. In so, other words, he's not a Ferrari. That's all we're saying here. Yeah, not he, a Ferrari. He compared himself to a Ferrari last week and you, putting tattoos on himself. You don't him, put a himself. bumper sticker on a Ferrari. Right. So... <laughs> So, in other words, you don't put a bumper sticker on a pin. Well, no. no you, you do put a lot do of bumper stickers bumper on. Stickers. Yeah. Actually, the bumper stickers help keep it together. <laughs> totally. So, go on Google. Look up 1972 Ford Pinto. Wood paneling. Wood paneling. Yeah. And, and you, you will, will see. You'll see Ezra. You'll see the car. Good uh, stuff. All right. Let's get into our first question here. This has to do with the Holy Spirit. And the question is, do we grieve the Holy Spirit when we talk and act as if he doesn't exist? Is it possible that we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit? I'm going to have a go at the second part and say, yeah, it is possible we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. I do have a question for you other podcast host and hostesses or whatever, participants. Yep. Um, can you show me somewhere in the Bible where the Holy Spirit is prayed to? Oh, I got lots. Of, I got. I'm, so I got the Word of Christ 
telling me when his disciples ask him, how shall we pray? The first two words are our Father. Okay? And we have examples in the early church about prayers being lifted to Jesus. Um, so I, I'm I'm just wondering. So so we're playing with the Trinity a little bit here. Mm. But I'm just wondering, I think, do you know of anywhere in the Bible where you would say we are taught to pray to the Holy Spirit? I think no. the language of praying in the Spirit yep. is biblical. But addressing the Holy Spirit, I can't think of any. So that's the Spirit informing your prayers, the praying in the Spirit. Yep. So I'm not I'm not suggesting that you can't pray to the Holy Spirit any more than I'm saying you can't pray to Jesus. Of course you can. Absolutely. I just the explicit teaching of the Bible mm-hmm. when Jesus was asked how should we pray, he, he he answered the question quite clearly. Our Father who art in heaven. Okay, this is a second member of the Trinity saying this is how you ought to pray mm. to to us. Mm is you should pray to the Father. And we, we play with prepositions now. And we say, well, okay, we, we pray to the Father through the Son. Okay? By the power of the Spirit. By the Spirit. Yeah. Now, maybe we should make that explicit at the end of all our prayers. I actually had a professor who used to do that. I think it's a great Crystal, way. you do this sometimes when you're emceeing yeah, in services. It's become kind of a... Not a habit in the sense of a mindless thing, but an intentional thing. Right. To remember yeah. the roles of each person of the Trinity and what they do. The Spirit is the applier of salvation and the one mm-hmm. who right. yeah, grants us that access into Christ's so ministry. What I'm saying, I guess, is that uh, at least in that sense of prayer, we are not instructed to pray, pray to the Holy Spirit. We're instructed to pray to the Father. Mm. So I have been around people before who were, who would say, "Well, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit because you don't you don't spend time talking to Him or, or about Him." And my response is actually, um, I'm not instructed to talk to the Holy Spirit in prayer. I certainly do uh, talk to the to the Spirit and as, and assume His presence in every way because I have a pretty mm. robust Trinitarian thought. Um, but I don't in the, in the in the in the New Testament. I don't see that being a part of what I'm instruct uh, what I'm instructed to do the way that I'm supposed to hmm. to one, act. One thing I found really helpful is working through the beginning of all the New Testament letters, and if you look at how Paul greets the church and how Peter greets the church, he always has kind of different things that he's praying for them for um, in God and in Jesus and the Spirit, and then hmm. talks about the different roles that each of them have, and they're consistent through all the New Testament letters in terms of what each character of the Trinity is doing kind of in applying salvation and in in reaching people. And so I think it's just great to be able to see that God is not kind of morphed as just one mm. person where all three thing, all three people do the same thing, mm. but it's actually those delineated job descriptions. So, when, there, we, so. W- when we talk about the book of Acts, though, for, what is it, four, four years or in four segments, five segments over four years, something yep. like that, yep. um, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what, if you actually go back to the beginning of our Acts series, you will see that that was the main thrust that we mm. had on it because this, it, it's the Spirit's work mm. through people in, in Acts. And so we, when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about what, the, what the New Testament authors are doing or how they, uh, how they acted in, in the book of Acts or how Jesus was doing things, and he's doing it through the power of the Spirit, and it comes up. Mm explicitly several times, but it's always assumed every, everywhere. Uh, 
even even though maybe Luke doesn't point it out at every at every turn, and Luke is the one who mentions the Holy Spirit more than anybody else in Luke Acts. So yeah, it, is it possible for you to underplay the Holy Spirit? Yeah, and I think that in some ways, uh, by not making it explicit, you end up conveying to people, mm. or we end up conveying it to people that we we don't uh, think about Him mm. as much, uh, and and that's probably a corrective for us. But just because he's not being explicitly mentioned doesn't mean that he's not implicitly assumed. And I'm I'm claiming the scriptures there because I think that that's the overwhelming sense of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is not always mentioned explicitly. You might get the Spirit of Christ. You might get God mentioned. You know, the way that God interacts with the world around us, the way he interacts with us is through the mediation of the Spirit today, yeah. period. Yeah. So anytime it says that God's going to do this for you, what what we assume is that He's going to do it through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We should we talk about it, it it more? Should we make it more explicit? You say you say you do in your prayers, Crystal. I do, and I think because I felt like there was a lot of confusion around this, especially mm-hmm. women wondering about charismatic movements and stuff. We right. decided to do a series, which is actually just a David Platt secret church teaching. Um, it was called Exploring the Holy Spirit, and it was recorded in 2008. But it's awesome because yeah. it goes through the whole Old Testament, New Testament, what the role of the Spirit is, how he was seen in the different types of redemption or different parts of redemption history, and how we interact with him today. So it's a really good theological basis for understanding mm. who the Holy Spirit is. Yeah. So I'd recommend it. It's I have a pet peeve. Ready, Greg? Yep. Here's my pet peeve. Um. Area grievances. Well, a little bit, but it has yep. to do with this. I, yep. I get very tired, though, of um, what what I call the reductionism in much of the church when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We're teaching about the Holy Spirit, and what I mean by that is the only thing that the Spirit does essentially is it. People who are trying to mm-hmm. highlight the Holy Spirit's work are saying, "Well, you don't mention the Spirit because you're not involved in maybe the sign gifts, or you're not interested in talking about the Spirit talking to you, or you're not involved in talking." about the spirit in in the in the spontane, spontaneity of life. Mm. And what they do unintentionally is they end up saying that the spirit does the spontaneous stuff. Mm-hmm. Not the organized. But that, not yeah. the organized stuff. Yeah. Like if I prepare a sermon early on, I'm not I'm not open to the spirit, which is what? Mm. Like who's who's the one who's guiding me through the text all week long? That's the spirit. When I pray and I ask God's help, who's he sending as my helper? The spirit, right? In my moments of grief, who is it the comforter? Mm-hmm. The Spirit is. Who's the one who indwells me and convicts me of sin? It's the Spirit. My point is the Spirit does all these things. And yes, the Spirit also can speak extra-biblically in, in ways to us and impress things upon us and take Scripture and apply it. But He also, we know for sure that He actually was the one who inspired the Bible, mm. right? And oversaw its completion and, and the writings of the of the New Testament and all that. I mean, I, my, my point is, let's not reduce the Spirit down to some perceivable uh, what we call supernatural events. Mm -hmm. That the Spirit through His providence actually is involved in every aspect of our lives. That's kind of what I'm saying when I'm saying implicit. If I were Mm -hmm. to mention everything the Spirit did, Mm -hmm. I would only ever talk about this. uh, I would use the word the Holy Spirit in every sentence I I utter. Right? Why, Why are we here today? Because the Holy Spirit made it possible for us to be here today. Why is my mouth moving right now? Because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is, you know, is holding me together. Like, and this do you understand? Is, totally. And this is why people, I think it, you said earlier, it was like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Packer was a guy who said that the Holy Spirit's ministry is a spotlight ministry. 
to show show Jesus. So in the same way for us to talk about everything we see because of the light around us, to always be adding the caveat, oh, by the way, I can actually see that because the light's on, seems, I don't know, right. not, not totally Crazy. natural. And yet recognizing the Spirit's role right. as part of the Trinity is to make Jesus known mm-hmm. and to have his commands be on our heart so that we want to obey and when we don't we are convicted of it that that's the spirit's work of showing us christ and who he is and what he's so there's a danger i think in both sides in in over over talking Mm -hmm. about the spirit because then i don't think you're actually in line with the with the approach that the scriptures take when it comes to this stuff Mm -hmm. and there's also a major danger in under talking about the spirit because you're because especially in our world where there's so much false teaching and bad thinking about the Holy Spirit that that it is helpful for us to clarify several times to make sure that people understand who the Spirit is and what He's doing, that kind of thing. At the end of our eight weeks when we did this exploring the Holy Spirit, we just asked the question, what does a Spirit-filled church look like? And we listed all the attributes of the Holy Spirit, and then how does that look like in a church? Mm. And it was really astonished. Like, people were kind of jaws dropping a little bit because they've had that idea, too. If the Holy Spirit's here, this is what our church will look like. Yeah. But when you actually look at what he's supposed to do, mm. which is make the gospel um, you know, understood and applied, bring people to conviction, confession, all these things that's different than what the charismatic church would tell us a Spirit-filled church looks like. So. Yeah, one of my favorite texts, actually, f- for that is... I often write it on a board and in classes, um, Ephesians 5.18 to 21, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, he gives a list. Number one, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Number two, singing and making melody to the to the Lord with your heart. Number three, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Number four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. These are so practical, mm. right? Yeah. So another is being thankful, having a song in your heart, mm. uh, sub- submitting to to the people in your in your life who mm. God has called you to submit to, yeah. whether that be your boss or or, or your, the elders of a church or whatever. I mean, like this, that they're very practical. So, what does a spirit filled church look like from Paul's point of view in things. Ephesians five? Those yeah. things he tells you mm. explicitly what yeah. they look like. What's funny about it is that none of them. None of them are are what you and I would term as supernatural. They're all supernatural. They are. That's mm. his point. But what you and I would classify as supernatural are the are the are the crazy things. Which, by the way, it, it would be cool if God does in our church or or any church. I think the Spirit is involved mm. in those things or can be involved in those things as well. Mm. But yeah, it usually that's what I mean by reductionist, yeah. right? It, mm. We we can't reduce the Spirit down to this the narrow things that we think mm. sit outside the sit outside the natural realm for us. Mm. Yeah. J.I. Packer's that keep in step with the spirit Excellent is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Really easy to understand. So just to clarify a little bit, the first part of the question was, do we grieve the Holy Spirit when we talk and act as if he doesn't exist? So do we grieve? Does the Holy Spirit grieve when we don't talk about him or we act as if he doesn't exist? Um, that's a term from, uh, somebody find that text. Yeah. For me. I think it's... Oh, we're awful. Hold on. Do not grieve. Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here's the thing. This is one of the things that we talk about a lot on our podcast is, 
and in all the classes I teach is, you know, every text has a context. And so if you're going to draw on biblical language, you really need to use that language in the context in which it's found. And so, you know, I'll read the wider context for that. Verse 25 of Ephesians 4, and then I'll go to verse 32. Okay, so therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, don't sin. Let Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I can ta- stop at this point and show that the author's really concerned with how you act how toward you others, right? Yeah. Yeah. How your relationships are with other people, right? You're not supposed to be somebody who steals from them, but somebody who has something to share with them, somebody who doesn't let the sun go down in their anger with them, right? You're members of one another is his main point here, okay? So verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Again, something that is focused on how you're going to be treating others, but only such is good for building up mm-hmm. as it fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. So you're supposed to talk in a way that, that focuses on the interests and needs of the person you're talking to, right? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. These are all other-oriented actions. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So like, if I was just going to ask you then, that little phrase, that little verse right in the middle, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, wouldn't it make sense for us to say, okay, well, that has something to do with hit the way we treat one another mm. that actually to grieve the holy spirit is for me to ignore all of these commands and to instead be selfish in my treatment of you mm. to only be focused on my on my interests as opposed to in all these ways to be focused on your good so so what do we say do we grieve the holy spirit uh, maybe maybe i don't have any explicit text that says that Right, that we grieve the Holy Spirit by not talking about Him. Actually, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't edify our brothers and sisters. Mm. That's what the scriptures teach, teach about that turn of phrase. Anybody want to have to come on, Greg, this fight? Let's go. No? I was reading something else oh, about okay. grieving the Spirit. I'm sorry. Is there something and else? No, seriously. I was reading uh, just a way that some other authors have used the terminology and they weren't using it that that same way um but they were one of the points they were making was that to to talk as though uh the holy spirit gets jealous when we don't talk about him enough and only talk about jesus is to do kind of a mismatching of the categories mm-hmm. that we have in the scripture right. so it they're they're also kind of walking that same balance of we don't want to act and think as though he's not real because he is and that he's not working because he does but for us to have a category in our mind of we have to have like equity equal opportunity of how many times yeah. we mention each member of the right. trinity is that's not the way to the, not really understand that's the way not the, the way the scriptures talk right again our father who art in heaven so i yeah there's a very much a focus on the there is a hierarchy in the Trinity, a functional hierarchy, okay? And right. I don't mean like a hierarchy in value, a functional hierarchy in the mm-hmm. God the Father sends the Son and the Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and the Son obeys the Father and the Spirit obeys the Father. So look, what you find in in the Trinity is the Son mm-hmm. giving glory to the Father and pointing attention to the Father and the Spirit doing that with the Son and the Father. And so uh, you glorify the Son and you mm-hmm. glorify the Spirit 
by giving glory to the Father. Mm. But these are great. This is a great question because it gets yep. into Trinity and probably says something about the lack of uh, teaching and emphasis that we have talking about the Trinity in in the three persons. Yeah. Yep. Great. Well, let's uh, move forward from that. Uh, we have a question in that has to do with listening prayer. Uh, so the question is: You've previously discussed listening prayer. Is this different from contemplative prayer? And if so, how? I ask because a friend went to her church's retreat and was surprised about some things that they were asked to do, including to repeat scripture in what she thought was a yoga-type manner. Was this likely a misunderstanding on her part? I just am dying to know what a yoga-type manner is. Is that like doing the? Are you doing poses while you're doing it? Probably like like that's awesome. The the chanting Chanting. of a phrase. Yeah. Is that what you do in yoga? Well, Greg, no. is that what you do in yoga? When, when you're do doing it. your hot yoga, when, yeah. when you're at the Bikram, yeah. is that what you're doing? <laughs> at the Bikram. <laughs> the Bikram. <laughs> yeah, except the things I'm chanting are, this is really painful. This is <laughs> not going to last. Ouch. Wait, Ouch. I think, <laughs> no, I'm chanting different <laughs> what things. What a fad. What a fad. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, I'm imagining that the the yoga association would be the ch- the use of the of phrases that you're chanting, chanting or okay. breathing exercises, possibly. So yeah. The, so yeah. the yeah. people who would use those chanting stuff, though, and might do it in that yoga way, are, are adapt. Are I mean, is it too much to say? I'm just asking. I don't know. Like, is it too much to say that they're they're drawing from kind of that tradition and saying, well, we can steal that sort of stuff and apply it kind of to the. I don't think they would say Christian sorry. Thing. I, I, no, I, I don't think they would say they're stealing it from. Y- Yoga. I think they would say that they're stealing it from a more ancient Eastern practice of the Christian church. So recognizing that the, the way it would probably be phrased is that the way that the Eastern church thinks about and meditates on things is differently than the way the Western church does. And mm-hmm. so for us to use their categories of kind of, you know, Gregorian chants and sure. some of these types of things is is well within the the realm of things we should try to um, foster our own spiritual growth. Before we even talk about this, can I just make a, an, I don't know, it's a, an observation. And it is that in the modern world, we are really, we're like buffet eaters when it comes to ancient practices. And we think that all this stuff is sort of there for us to do. And yet, and yet I'm just saying, it's, I know I it doesn't matter to me what, whether or not you you choose to do a, an ancient what you consider to be an ancient practice, whether that be a certain kind of solitude or an asceticism or something like that, whatever. But what I find interesting is that each one of those practices in the ancient times by the church fathers or those in the Middle Ages or whatever, those, those had theological driving forces. There's a, mm. the, the the practice was driven from a certain theological principle, mm. but today we don't. We don't agree with the theological principles. We just want the practice because we think it's going to give us some special experience. And I think that that's interesting and says probably more about the modern world and about what, we, what we're really after. We, we're not after the theology. We're after the whoosh. We're after the experience. So if I can go and I can have, and, and I can go and I can have some sort of, uh, I, by using some mystical ancient, ex, ancient approach to things, I'm going to have some mystical experience. And that has more cachet. It has more currency in my spiritual life than the simple stuff like reading the Word of God or the prayer, like doing prayer the way Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, you know, that kind of stuff. So I just you, think it frames the whole discussion a little bit differently because, yeah. 
Yeah, people don't know the theological framework that drove it, and they also don't know the discussion that was even around it at that time, mm. right? Like, they, people that had these kind of practices were in communication with their contemporaries who were mm. correcting or changing or right. pushing back and forth, right? And if we don't know those conversations, we just kind of see it as an isolated kind right. of... Right, and we think, neat, we, cool. let's try that. Yeah, that but they sounds... don't know that they were even in debate, hmm. even in those times, whether these were good practices. And when I share with my friends, what I end up saying is, oh, Greg, uh, Crystal, look, y- you guys... I've had this feeling in my heart when I did this. I walked through these the line of people and they were speaking to me and I felt warm. Or I, I, you know, I closed my eyes and I asked God questions and I, f- I felt something right and and so we end up we end up counting truth. Uh, we we join truth to that feeling. Experience. We say we say that that, oh, that experience means truth. I I just want to ask all sorts of questions though at that point because I have a lot of Mormon friends. I grew up with Mormons all around me and. We used to hang out. We were the moral people in my high school. And so I, you know how many times I had Mormon friends who basically said that to me, Jeff, you're missing out on the, on the burning. Mm. And you need to have it because I've had it. And these are trustworthy, f- nice people. They're not crazy people. Sincere. Yeah. Sincere. If you ever study Islam, you can find out about the Sufis. And mm. they, they have these mystical, amazing experiences with, with Allah. And they, there, there's a reason that in the Roman world, the mystery religions had such a draw to people. In fact, mo- a lot of people followed the mystery religions, and they were very quick to jump from one to the next, based almost entirely on whether or not they could have a, an experience with the divine. So I, I just want to ask questions like, I don't think, I don't think the Christian church is has a corner on the market on religious experience. Mm. And then I start asking, well, okay, if that's the case, then how do we determine between one that's true and one that's not? So if I'm going to sit down and I'm going to hear a voice in a prayer, like listening prayer, which means I sit down and I'm going to ask God to answer, okay, I, God, where are you today? Or God, you know, what do I do here? And whatever he gives back to me. Like, I, again, I know people who are who are New Age teachers uh, who taught my sister when she was in college, and that's the way they taught her to to, to pray. They, they actually told her to meditate and meet a spirit guide who would who would lead her into truth. My question is, is that a malevolent or benevolent spirit? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, is he mm. a bad malevolent? Is he like wicked or is he a good one? Mm. And how do you know? And how do you know? And so, my again, people will say, "Well, obviously, you know, they're because they're Christians." Really? I mean, I, I, it, it, I believe that demons talk to Christians. I'm not saying the listening prayer is demonic in any way. I'm, I'm just asking the questions that seem to nobody wants to ask. Mm. I mean, it just seems to me that the thing that you'd want to do in the long run. It's, it's to follow the words of Christ when he tells you how you ought to pray, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's not like they're unclear. You can look through the New Testament, too, and see the prayers of Paul and see how he prays. Mm-hmm. But adapting, adopting a, a, a largely pagan approach to prayer and expecting God to meet you in it, I, I don't know if he's obligated to do so. I think he's gracious, and so he probably does. Mm. And so I celebrate that. But then going out and teaching everybody else, this is how you do it, is like, what? Because, mm. I, again, I want to know, well, wh- why, why are the Sufis wrong, and why are the, wh- why are the Mormons wrong, and, and why are the New Age teachers wrong? I don't, they're saying the same thing. Well, and that's the attractiveness of uh, the universalism of sorts, in the sense that, well, if these people are all having these genuine experiences and because we don't like the idea of sifting through is this a malevolent or benevolent 
spirit going on. We just say, well, if it's all good, then that's God working through all of these different traditions to draw them into the divine presence, to, to help them experience the one true divine that is there. And we as Christians know that that's, that's God. And so God is using these different means to, and by means, I mean like religious traditions, to give them an experience of himself. Is so he to, like can't can't you see is he the the logic there That's the logic he's saying, is yeah. is compelling for people to say so then why why would we make a big deal about talking about what the Bible says or about who Jesus right. is is because these experiences are all being had by genuine kind people like your Mormon friends right like friends I have who in different traditions who have fantastic experiences um so I'm I'm just I'm just making the comment the observation that that's why I can see this kind of practice leading to a certain kind of belief about salvation and the necessity of Jesus and well and you end up feeling I, I get it his you, exclusivity you, all of that right you also feel your the experience itself uh, uh, makes you makes you sometimes feel closer to God or or those sorts of things um that's what the Mormons say <laughs> that's what they always say like, so, yeah. yeah so specifically this question was on contemplative prayer and I don't know exactly what the retreat was that, that they went to. But my guess is they had them studying or reading a passage of scripture and over and over and again and asking how the Holy Spirit would apply it to them. That's what I've kind of experienced in those kind of situations. So they think that by reading the scripture that they're doing kind of what mm-hmm. God would say, meditate on on his word and that they're being in line with Christian teachings. But my problem with that is that usually that scripture take passages completely isolated from its mm-hmm. context, from its authorial intent, mm-hmm. from whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, which has a different focus and a different emphasis and aim where it's written in the Bible. And so you're kind of asked to just meditate on some loose words that you don't know how they fit in to all the redemption story. It becomes and a then, mantra. And then somehow apply it directly to your life without understanding the context that it was written into. And so that's where I think right. the danger is. Like if you're going to meditate on God's word, spend an hour studying that passage first and right. see who wrote it and why and what the author was trying to get at. And then say, okay, spirit, apply this to my life. Well, it treats the Bible like a magic book ultimately. It does. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, so you're describing what's often called Lectio Divina. Yeah. Um, and that's ultimately the problem is that, is that it, it's built upon a faulty understanding of what, the, what scripture is. Even the people who you, who use it yeah. would agree that yes, the scriptures actually are communication acts from people inspired by God to other people, and they have context, both historical, cultural, literary. They have all those things, and yes, they have a meaning. But there's that meaning, and then there's the meaning that the Holy Spirit wants to use in your life in this present in this present mm-hmm. moment. The deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. My question ultimately is: Okay, I, I what I need you to do. do is to demonstrate for me that the Holy Spirit has a deeper meaning than than the one that He's inspired, and that so so and I want to know on what basis you're going to say that your experience of that deeper meaning is true or not true. Do you do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? So if I if I go to a passage of Scripture, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine. 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 My friend wines too much. <laughs> He's a whiner. <laughs> Greg's a whiner. I need to tell him that he's a one. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So here's, here's the passage, and it's being severed from its intent, and I'm using words differently, and they're just kind of mm-hmm. connections to one thing. And all of a sudden, I end up saying the Holy Spirit is telling me to go tell Greg to stop being a whiner, which he might be, Greg. I don't think I whine. <laughs> 
What are you? What? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm not like that. So, but but <laughs> do you understand? Why do you always what I mean? have to pick on me? <laughs> do you understand what I mean? Though you end up taking it and you go. Now I might be. It might be over. I might be oversimplifying it, and I don't mean to be uh, assaulting anyone's particular kind of a pr- approach in that in that regard or that example. But I am saying that the Bible has meaning in its context. That it's a communication act, and mm-hmm. you treat you treat God well when you treat His communication well. Right. If Crystal were sitting here and she were going to say something to me, and I was completely took her to say the opposite or some other thing than what she said, she would be frustrated by me. Yeah. She'd say, "You're not listening to me. I I don't understand why the Holy Spirit wouldn't be frustrated by that." Mm. Now, the fact that He uses this is a sign of His grace, not His not His tacit approval of the action any more than the fact that God sometimes uses the old drop the Bible and let it open and that verse means something to you, mm-hmm. you know, approach is, is not the way we ought to teach people to, to follow Christ in the days ahead. Yeah. So the first part of this question was about um, the differences between listening prayer and contemplative prayer. So maybe you can just define listening prayer versus contemplative prayer and the differences there. I mean, I, I don't know if we are prepared to do that because we don't really actually know what was being taught. I think this is part of the challenge of this topic. Yeah. It's really slippery. Is that people will use words to mean very different things. You need a context, don't you, buddy? And so we've we've <laughs> made a lot of people really mad, and I've had people tell me that by by my critiquing of aspects of listening prayer, I'm I'm disparaging the Spirit's work. But when they say listening prayer, they mean something really different yeah. than other people. And so I don't know if, if we're in the spot where it's our our definitions of these two terms is going to be helpful because once we define it, people are going to be listening to it saying that's not what they meant by contemplative prayer or whatever. Right. So I'm totally punting. Is that yeah. bad? No, it's not. Here's the thing, want? though, is I'm, I'm going to say that something that is unique to, or you could u- use whatever word you want, listening prayer, contemplative mm-hmm. prayer, whatever. So I hear, I'll speak positively. The Bible has clear teaching on how we ought to pray, okay? Yeah. And it's not pagan. So, so that's, why don't you major on that? Mm-hmm. What I get frightened about is that people get excited about a form of prayer or an approach to prayer that mm-hmm. is not what the Bible teaches positively, but that is an adaption from pagan teaching that mystery religions have done forever, and then people will justify because they'll say, oh, the, the church mystics did this. Yep. Have you ever read some of what the church mystics believed and what these contemplative prayer, listening, prayer, whatever words you want to use actually led them into doctrinally? It's not good. It's not good at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just saying using the mystics in the mm-hmm. ch- history of the church as the, the, as the basis for your, hey, they used to do this a long time ago. Man, there's a lot of stuff they used to do a long time <laughs> ago. But you're not doing, and then claiming this is the best way to pray, or this is a really good, like, mm. we really want to teach you to be, to, to have a relationship with Jesus that is really, really warm. This is the way you have to do it, because it's a conversational kind of relationship. And I, again, I want you to show me where in the Bible you are promised a conversational relationship with Jesus. Well, I think the categories are getting confused all the sure. time, too, because I think they're really mm. talking more about a gift of prophecy trying to foster that gift of prophecy if you're wanting to hear God speak to you and through totally. you then it, that's not really prayer language prayer language is our intercession and ap- supplication throughout right. the scriptures right? right so it's confusing prayer and prophecy I think too 
So when you're talking about this, I think we could summarize by saying, you know, a lot of times, like in any, in any of this, the first part of call is to try to get to, to understand definitions. Mm. Like what exactly are we talking about? What what exactly is being stated or said? It, we we uh, yeah. What's being said so that so that we can interact with the content of that mm-hmm. that thing. So the words are slippery. Yeah. Great. Well, we got one more question for the day uh, that has to do with tension. And the question reads: Sometimes I worry that by making things so easily accessible in church, mm-hmm. that the importance of these things is lost. For example, when scripture is put on the screen, I feel no need to have a Bible with me, and therefore I'm not encouraged to read my Bible daily. There seems to be this tension between making church easily accessible for unbelievers and also trying not to make Christians lazy. What encouragement can you offer to deal with these tensions and get past them? Yeah, stop being lazy. <laughs> is that awful? <laughs> this is a challenge at every point. I told these before we started recording, I told Crystal and Poochie and Greg that <laughs> look that we when I first started ministry and I was a youth pastor, uh, my father-in-law, who was the pastor of the church, gave me – talk about nepotism, by the way, right? He <laughs> he gave me this article, and it, it was asking a very good question. And the question was, what kind of faith, what kind of discipleship is formed by theater seating in a church? <laughs> and you and I would be like, what? Big deal. Theater seats are way better than the pew or whatever. But – but the article is asking, okay, so if we're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, does the theater seat and the comfort that it provides lead you to that thinking? <laughs> and the, I, when I was in Europe uh, doing some, doing a little bit of Bible school through Cape and Ray schools, uh, I remember going to a church and 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 being told by one of the people because the seats were horrible they were so hard were they pews yeah and like wooden yeah, yeah. pews, wooden pews no, and straight padded. up backs and stuff like that i i was like what is going on with this thing and i was told by the vicar of the church that w- you sit in church in the same that the the way of discipleship is a hard way so when you come to church we want it to be hard and <laughs> And that, that's why the sermons are long. That's why – so you see what you can do here. You can end up saying, well, the way of disciples is going to be hard. We've got to prepare people for it. Then you know what? You're going to stand for the whole thing. We're going to have terrible gonna music. And the music's going to yeah. stink, and I'm going to talk as long as I want. And <laughs> it doesn't – you know, and I, like, why use illustrations in any way? I don't try to draw it to you. So, like, there's this extreme, right, on one side that if you did it that way. And then there's the stream on the other side, which is like, okay, we're only going to do everything that makes it easy for everybody. So this is where the debate about how many lights should you use in a church and whether should they be moving and should it look like a rock concert. And and everyone, when we see that, we kind of instinctively know, ooh, that's that's like, wait, what? And then the other side, we kind of like, why aren't you giving us chairs to sit in? Like, and so there is a tension. It's a great question because there is a tension mm-hmm. in it. And you've pointed out a really good one with us anyway, with the verses on the, on the screen. Why do we do that? And he's exactly right, to make it accessible to those who are new to the faith. We get a lot of people who are newer to the faith in our church. Mm. Either aren't Christians yet or who are new new to the faith. Uh, we do have pew Bibles that we have historically passed out. I used to not put this, the verses on the screen, but I found that there were people who were not following me through actually reading the texts. Mm. So my hope is I'm going to start where you are, not where you think you ought to be. But my goal is to move you there. 
and that through the constant uh, reading of Scripture together and the studying of Scripture together, the Holy Spirit moves your heart in such a way that you start to love His Word and that you are given a Bible and you love that Bible and you end up studying it with your uh, on your own, which we do in our other lots of our other 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 ministries in the church. And I think that was something I was going to pick up on the idea that what we do on the weekends in our congregations, our gathered assembly, is a crucial, vital part of what we do as the local church, but it's not the only thing. And so we we want to target what we're doing to the people that are, are coming, make it understandable and edifying to everybody that's, as, or as many people that are there as possible each week. But we also recognize that, that the Sunday isn't the only piece of how we want people to walk their Christian life out of making disciples and being discipled by others. And so I don't I don't know if it's totally fair to to blame something's accessibility for Christians laziness. Yeah. I don't think that that's a good correlation because we're not that's not the only thing we're doing. If that was the only thing we were doing, I think you could say, well, you should make it it's a little a non sequitur. It means that one it doesn't necessarily follow. Equally, right. Yeah. Right. That if I put verses on a screen, therefore I'm making you lazy. Well, you might be lazy because you're lazy. Right or for whatever for other other reason, yeah. One does not lead is not a cause effect relationship. And I don't think the the listener felt that in his own no, life. Right. I no, think no, he's no. just worried yeah, yeah. for others. No, that's right. How to push them forward in their own yeah. walk. Yeah. So it was framed in the right way, right? The mm-hmm. fact that this is attention, the fact that we're trying to make things accessible for everyone there as as much as we can, and yet we don't want it to be fluffy. We want there to be meat on the bone for yeah. people of every age and stage to to really chew on, to keep the analogy going. One thing I've been really amazed at since working here and getting to know so many people is that you can walk into this church on a Sunday morning and think, we're with a whole bunch of mature Christians who oh. know their Bible and are solid in their faith. And then you hear a little bit of their stories and where they've come from and what they think about this church. And we need to be like as accessible as possible. Like mm-hmm. the range of people that enter mm-hmm. these sanctuary doors on a weekend is just crazy in and terms it, of where they've come from and where they're going and, and not they just understand not just here too though right no. like this is the this is the situation that every church finds themselves in the idea that there there are people in the congregations across the city and country of a v- wide variety of biblical literacy and illiteracy and so we, we we have to be as communicators in the church accessible so i have a quick yeah. question for you maybe not quick I was last night in my, this interesting this question comes up because last night I was uh, working my way through Spotify which is addictive because mm-hmm. you especially if you've lived long enough you go back to all sorts of Old music. music that yeah. you listen to oh my goodness I'm listening so I was listening to some Old Petra. So when I first came oh. to faith in Christ in high school, like that was like okay, oh, yeah, that was the here's thing. your here's your Bible and then here's a tape of Petra. So you got you got to listen to both. As a boy, you need a Bible and you need Petra. So I would listen to Petra and stuff. What was your I, song? What was your favorite Petra? Dude, there's song? some pretty good songs. Beyond Belief was one that right. I liked. Yeah. Anyway, I I remember that I was listening last night to this song, and it was funny how many of the songs that they sang. And then a number I kept I kind of got into it, and I was like, I wonder how many other songs have this theme. And there were a lot of those like 1980s songs. That one of the major uh, points that they were making in these in this music was uh, the church is like asleep in the light. They're they're uh, they're 
Hidden Behind the Walls, Behind Rose-Colored Stained Glass Windows. It's a song that Petra sang. And I, I was thinking, you know, in the 1980s, I think that probably was the case. The church was much, much more inclined to be separate from the culture and not really concern themselves with engagement as much. Right, and so I remember when I grew up in church, I would ask that question sometimes, new to the faith and stuff. Like, why is it so dramatically different hmm. in some churches? Like the way you sit, the st- stand, sit, stand. Well, I don't, I don't have, don't do any of this in any other place. And then, of course, in the 1990s, what ended up happening is that the church ended up booming. With a lot of these mega churches were seeker sensitive, and that that meant that they were like, ah. Oh, we are going to have a view toward the person who's never been to church or who was church and gave it up because they had sit, stand, sit, stand, sit in the hard pew and sing songs that were terrible. So they were going to say, look, we're going to try to speak the language of the culture. And they tried, you know, at varying levels of success or failure. But people started going to those churches. Even new people started going because they really believed. They were like, I've never, the Bible and Christianity has never made sense to me like this. Hmm. And so I, I think that's something that the speaker sensitive for all its failures really did well is mm. to recognize that we can't just sit back and ignore the fact that the culture outside the world outside of the walls of the church is actually in dire need of hearing the message mm. that we're preaching. Mm. But I've always believed that you can do you can kind of do both. You got to live in that tension, mm. right? I don't think you need to sell your soul to the culture. I think you can speak content that is countercultural, but you can do it in a way that is that makes sense to people. But shows that you understand their world, where right. they're coming from. Right, yeah. and then I can do it, and you can utilize the tools around us that are that, that help us to preach that kind of stuff better and communicate better, and to be not such a shocking experience for somebody who walks mm-hmm. in, right? If, if, if I know that you're from another place and you have no background in, in my culture or whatever, and you come to my home, I'm going to go out of my way to try to explain stuff to you or like, here's what we're going to do. And if we're going to have like a wedding or something you've never been for, I want to make sure that you understand that there's a certain approach or process that we go. I think we need to do that kind of stuff more and be as hospitable as we can. But at the same time, so, so there will be people in the church who get really mad when you say, oh, we need to be open and whatever to the rest. Oh, we're going to give away the faith. And then the others who are, if you don't, if you don't, uh, and I'm not, don't use the word dumb it down, but if you don't put it in an accessible shelf, there will be people in the church who are like, we don't care about the lost. Mm. So we need to care about the lost mm-hmm. and about the growth of the people who were lost. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Not just kidding. The spirit's with us, right? Yeah. So I think. Um, Oh, Greg's got some music going. <laughs> That's beyond belief. Wow, Greg, thank you. I used to be a producer of the podcast. <laughs> I know how to do it, Poochie. Listen to that 80s... Uh, Dude, this is not just coming back. This is full-on back. Like this style <laughs> of music. This is a good song. People are playing... We're playing this. You could probably hear Nate Bosch lead this song. West Court. It's a good song. They can play us out. All right. That is your extra podcast. Uh, email your questions to extra at northview.org. This is episode 259. Signing off is your sound producer, Gucci. Knowing that you can't stand